Yes, I I completely agree. Um, um sorry, so continue. I'll just I'll just yeah. I'll, I'll just kind of uh... Yeah, no, no, no problem. So it's just like, okay, so for those of you who feel like you're coming into mid-conversation, you actually are. Um, We are talking about the thing that happened over uh, the past weekend, last two weeks, I guess, Uh, whatever, Um, where we're talking about the hashtag comics broke me on Twitter. And it's just so fascinating because, like, I love comics. Eric loves comics. And just the amount of scumbag practices that a lot of these companies do to, I guess, maximize their profits while at the same time screwing people over as if they don't have any any as as if they don't have a um a living situation that they have to deal with at the end of the day as as well. So there's this one dude I follow, uh, well not follow, but seen on my Twitter feed. Uh, who was a former editor or currently is an editor of DC, um, talking about how, like, for people who've been in the game for, I guess, a long time, right, which would be well-deserved, right, they make what they need to make. But But also at the same time, this editor, right, the person who sits there and reviews the books, makes sure everything is good to go, right, they make X amount of money, right? But they're they're hiring this person who makes what they make off of a six issue run within an entire year i mean yeah so which is which is unfathomable but then you have new artists you know fresh faces coming in trying to make a name for themselves in this industry and the company's having the editor lie to them about page rates which is which again is crazy because like imagine you getting paid fifty dollars per page right fifty dollars per page that's 20 page issue right what is that that comes to what a thousand dollars right and then you would break that down hourly. That's only like ten dollars an hour. Because yeah, a thousand dollars a month, like yeah, like you're not gonna make rent in like most major cities, right? Unless, exactly. unless you unless you live in like Omaha, Nebraska, right? Or like you know, middle of nowhere, Idaho, like you know. Yeah, yeah exactly, Alaska. Yeah. So any yeah. you, any you any you in Alaska would have making the comics. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You. A thousand dollars will last you the entire year off of like seal blubber, I guess. You yeah, know? Alaska, you know, where I think I looked this up. It, it's like LA County has more people. All of LA County has more people than the state of Alaska. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, so, and uh, the thing that like really got to me, so I sort of like, I don't follow a lot of comics, I don't follow, I follow almost no comics people on Twitter anymore. Because during the presidential election, they broke, they drove, literally drove me crazy with all their, their brunch liberalism. And the thing that, as as Phil is just filling me in, and that's why I feel like we need to get this, but devote some of this podcast to talking about it, is there are a lot of people who are very well-respected names who are extremely performative, talking about uplifting, uplifting diverse, marginalized backgrounds, who were called out on, wow, they are as exploitative as the people as the structures they claim. They claim that they're, right. Yeah, Spike Trotman being one of those, who I never really liked, I'm just going to say, because there's always something about the thing, you know, things she said that bothered me of, uh, and like, yeah, all these people are talking about just how, yeah, she just screws people out on contracts, and, you know, but she's such an established name that, like, people believe what she says over these, like, artists that no one's ever heard of. Um, this, we were just, to be a little more specific, so we're not just talking shit about someone. There's someone on Twitter who was saying, 150-page graphic novel, 
full color, right? I think it was full color. Yeah, it was five, full color. Only five advance of only five k. Which to to give by comparison for people who don't know, right? Um, that's because that sounds like a lot. Five thousand dollars for a hundred fifty page graphic novel. You go to like these book publishers, the New York book publishers, Penguin Random House and whatnot. Say what you will about their practices and whatnot. Like the low end of advances is like 10k, 20k. That's on the low end, right? Mm-hmm. Like like for a good story, a good graphic novel, you're looking 50, 60, 70. Really good, you're looking above that, like 100k, right? So 5k is laughable. This is the equivalent, quite literally, of like a McDonald's wage. <laughs> you know, working at McDonald's versus working at, you, you know, a place. I don't know what is a what's a fast food chain that actually pays well. Uh, in and out. In, in and out, yes. 5K and heat and um, profit sharing royalties. The artist, uh, he only gets 30. He only gets 36K, right? 36%. Spike would get 24%, and it's like 40, 70% to her publisher. To the publisher, yeah. Right. Another artist was talking about. Little someone was like, oh, working with like Rotman to to write a script. You know, takes 10 pages, takes a year, only gets 10 pages of script done. And, like, kept ghosting this artist about the script. This project that ultimately never materialized. Um, and that just really grinds my gears, yeah. Because, like, this is a figure who, you know... I'm just going to say, she's a Kamal Harris, you know? <laughs> All right? Just like, oh, yeah, you know, marginalized black women. did legitly open a lot of doors. You know, starting her own publishing and make a lot of inroads, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, like many people in this fucking industry who identify as progressive but have no problem with capitalism, no problem with exploiting others. You know, they have this mentality. If they didn't come from money to begin with, or come from a middle class background, then they have this mentality as like, well, I got out, I'm gonna exploit others. You know, right. that's how it is. Uh, you know, if, if like to, to to really illustrate my point of view, fucking Ron Mars calls me a socialist as an insult on Twitter, right? Oh. That's how up their ass. Like many of these six very six, Ron Mars for those who don't know, he didn't create Kyle Rayner, but he wrote Kyle Rayner Green Lantern in the nineties. Mm. You know, oh, he created. I don't know who cares. I don't know. But yeah, like so many of the vault. Of the like that one percent of comic creators who are successful, or are just so fake, so outwardly progressive and vocal and talk about marginalized. And what get, where's my gears? So people really fall for that. They really do believe, you know, hey, they do actually care. But at the end of the day, their bottom line speaks for themselves. Like you know, they're and this stuff is just you know like whatever you know, cause racist, cause sexist, call whatever. It's like. You know, yeah, these are real. Like these, these are real people. These are you're like the proof is out there. You know, right. and this all started about like um, uh, we should we should probably mention it. It's like there's an artist named Ian McGinty. Yes, uh, who recently had passed away at the age of uh, 38. Um, was hospitalized, he, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, just like from being overworked and yes. comics, and because yeah. yeah, it's because like. I mean, we don't know him, but like he worked, he did the art for a graphic novel from an alumni from Warcraft program. Um, you said you said you went to Scan with him, Phil, but you didn't know. 
Yeah, like uh, yeah, I went to went to the went to scad with him. Uh, he was he was older, of course, right? He's thirty eight. I'm only thirty one. Um, so yeah, like it it's it's really crazy to see like you know people who like within my I guess class or generation, if you will, um, like pass away so quickly. It's like yo, he was still young, and to go through like overwork to you know. Like living his dream essentially, but the dream was killing him. Yeah. So and and yeah, that's just because not only the companies, right, corporate, you know, exploitative practices, but also these individuals who claim to speak, who do all this job, like, you know, just talking about look at all these marginalized people, it's not diverse enough, or doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna mention these, these their names, mm-hmm. not right now, <laughs> but I I found evidence. Maybe we'll see. Maybe with this hashtag. Uh, I don't know. You might, I might have to talk to you, so you might talk me out of this idea, Phil. But I found actual evidence online of a very big name creator. Mm-hmm. Her production company uses unpaid interns. What? And I found an interview from one of these unpaid interns. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did actually say, like, yeah, this caused me real financial hardship. Because it's like, it's like they got it through PSU, and there is tuition swap. That's how mm-hmm. it works. But even then, like, well, that doesn't, like, I still I have to spend money to get gas, you know, driving to her, to this, to her studio, her place. That doesn't, it's just because it's tuition swap, doesn't pay for gas, doesn't pay for rent, doesn't pay for his other expenses. Right. Yeah, and this is a creator who is very vocal about, like, uplifting, you know, women and, and you know, the sexism that she faced in the industry and, and that's not to invalidate that, of course, it's terrible. But like I said, the film is like, oh yeah, you really are like the people, you really are like that scene in Emily the Criminal, <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> where, where she, if you don't know, highly recommend you watch it on Netflix, Aubrey Plaza, uh, in a, like a crime drama. Well, long story short, this is a, not, this undersells it, but just to summarize, friends, it's like, it's like Breaking Bad, but for millennials. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> she's an art student with student loans and she's like you know barely making a living just like doing uber eats you know and then she gets caught up in like falls in line with some criminals to scam people and then it's like oh this is paying the money but um what blew, what i love about that movie that highlights something so pervasive and doesn't get talked about across all industries not just comics she she finally gets a big opportunity, right, in her field. She goes to work for this design company. She gets interviewed with the CEO of a design company, played by mm-hmm. Gina Gershon, great actress. And she has her home set up. Until this interview, she starts talking about, like, okay, the way this works, this is an unpaid internship for the first six months. And she's like, unpaid. Like, like this is, you know, no one told me that, and I can't pay my rent. And going back and forth about, like, you, you can't, you can't, like, use free labor like that and mm-hmm. especially now right at, at uh, times or now and she starts defending herself by saying you know keep jiggers you know this older you know girl boss you know feminist uh, ceo it's like back in my day you know women could only be secretaries you should be grateful and then obviously plaza's replies well at least a secretary gets paid right and yeah this is yeah this just grinds my gear this is something that's just like really, you know, my politics have moved very leftward in the last few years because of, uh, you know, a lot of people who who really talk about diversity and representation, but 
only talk about it on a very surface level and and you know don't address the the systemic institutional exploitation that is is capitalism right mm. i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna go too far into this but like yeah you know they and they would use their identity as a way to deflect like how they exploit people through capitalism uh funny we should say that in pride month because already there's been like a lot of the rainbow capitalism going on uh uh <laughs> i saw i saw on twitter like someone one of the political figures i follow was like they're retweeting uh Lockheed and Martin had like a, a pride parade float, <laughs> which is like this is a defense contractor, right? They make you know jets and bombs and drones, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and it's just like you want to pretend like people are you want to pretend that we're progressive. <laughs> oh my god! That's we're making like it's literally the meme, right? The Democrat difference between Democrats and Republicans is that there's a there's a there's a plane dropping a bomb, but the Democrat one has like a pride flag on it. No, wow. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, so, yeah, I've seen that meme. I've seen that meme. But, I mean, we, we say all this to say this, right, is that, like, comics, comics, the medium, the medium itself is not at fault. It's a beautiful medium that can tell wonderful stories of both experimental art as well as, like, you know, thought-provoking ideas. It's just the industry that is that is dirt, essentially, right? It's taking these creators who put blood sweat and tears into honing their craft and <clears throat> creating the best possible product that they possibly can but because of you know this bright-eyed look of like working for you know whatever ip property that you want to work for whether it's like spider-man ninja turtles my little pony or transformers or whatever um people especially like newer artists tend to get um suckered in with lower rates but at the same time it's just like understanding know your worth don't get suckered into these uh corporate companies and remember or or, or people or, or people or, or or creators that's the thing it's not just not just not just dc marvel whatever right, right. spike job is it the biggest you know, one of the big independent names right right plenty there are plenty of small press publishers one in my town, Portland. Uh, uh, I don't want to say it because they are extremely litigious. They they do sue a lot of people, but like, uh-huh. so just because they like even even those who are like punk rock, f the man, you know, you know, bipoc, whatever, like, don't believe just because they say it. like read the contract, you know, educate yourself, get agents. Yes. Um, don't take what you know as a bad deal just to get your foot in the door. Yeah. If you're going to do that, if you're going to work for free or for low rate, do it, do it for yourself. Work. Do yeah. it for yourself. And do it making your own work. Right. Yeah. You know, like just put like that's what me and Phil are doing right now, or a web comic. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're we're both poor and it's going slowly, but you know, at least we're doing it for ourselves. Right. And and also like for for people who should who might get discouraged by this, every publishing route has trade-offs, right? Like every every public if you want to get published to make a living, they're gonna take it by the apple, right? If you want to do it by yourself, you know, and get full control and all that, you know, you'll get you know the full thing, but it's very hard to begin. But mm-hmm. no no route is perfect. That right? is that is that is absolutely true. It's it's a matter of what you're able to live with and what you think is is fair. A fair deal for your work. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And remember this, right? There is money in comics. Uh, we've seen this comic, well, not just comics, but graphic novels. And, well, the, I guess, let's say comics. My fault, because I, I keep ch- interchanging. There's money in comics, right? We've seen the trends continue upward, like, continuously throughout the year. While everything's going down, comics are still going up. And, you know, just a bitter note to end this off on, right? The former CEO of IDW walked away with $400,000, right, as he left. So there's money in comics. They're just not giving it to creators, all right? So we just got to talk more about that. So talking about the comic, uh, you know, comic creators on the depressing note, don't we have quite the story for you, all right? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, – I had a much more fun idea planned, but – that's what I were talking about this industry stuff that actually neatly tied into the book we're talking about today. So we're continuing, yeah. we're continuing our Eisner, our breakdown, of the Eisner nominees, um, and we're going to discuss one of the nominees for best, uh, best international edition Asia, basically best manga. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're we're talking about Look Back by Tatsuki Fujimoto. Best yes. known as the creator of Chainsaw Man. Yes. Which I think we discussed last year because that series was nominated. Because that was it was nominated. Yes. There's an anime, and yeah, with Phil Tovey, it's like okay, because you know I was, it's like all right, I like Chainsaw Man, you know, but I didn't really grab onto it. You know, you're I know you're a big fan, Phil. I do love Chainsaw Man. Yes. Uh, so two things. First of all, very different. If you had told me, if you because Chainsaw Man again, it's about a guy who runs around fighting. Demons, zombies, devils, with literally chainsaws coming out of his hands and his head, and he joins up with some devil hunting organization, demented as hell. If you told me he wrote a book called Look Back about two young girls, you know, a coming of age story, you know, about becoming manga creators, I was like, this is the same person. (laughs) (laughs) But also, because of that, I was like, okay, you know, Chainsaw Man, it was demented, it was fun. I was like, all right, this will be a light, light hearted romp. About like you know, all right, two two girls, you know, trying to make an industry. It's like, good God, no. was... yeah, it, it goes it goes deep, it goes very deep. It was very depressing as a struggling comics creator, and then the timing of this, what's going on this last week with this whole comics hashtag. It's like, oh Jesus. Yes, it, honestly, I feel like this was all written in the stars because this this is crazy. Um, so again, talking about uh. Tatsuki of Fujimoto's work, right? Um, he's I feel like he 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 straddles this line because this man loves comics. He's a very young creator, I believe. He's about 24, no, 25, 26, somewhere around there because I think when he started Chainsaw wow, Man. Really? That's yeah, it. Yeah, because when he started Chainsaw Man, he was about 23. Mm-hmm. Um, whose first book is fire punch which is about a guy who's trying to get revenge for the man who killed his sister um really cool stuff really really trippy uh, i have um, to ask why is it called fire punch can you like light his fist on fire no it's, okay so the so in this world the this person brought about a second ice age so humans were struggling the main character has the ability to regenerate his limbs all so right, in order right, that's fine we don't <laughs> Yeah, it sounds kind of cool, actually, but... Yeah. It, sorry, continue. I just wanted to know. But it, it sounds like it's very different from this book. It is, it is. Because, again, like this is what, like, I feel like it was, like, the precursor to Fire Punch. 
Um, because like again, Ice Age main character lives in a village, people are struggling to eat, so he chops off his limbs to give them to his villagers. Um, a person from a kingdom comes, finds out these people are eating human limbs, decides to set the entire village on fire. Because the main character has the ability to regenerate, uh, he's fighting through the pain to get revenge. So, like, the fire is never ending. The fire is always burning him, but he's always regenerating. That's why it's called Fire Punch. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah very different from Look Back. <laughs> very, very different. Very grounded, very kind of emotional, sentimental. Yes. There's, there's, so, like, there's a similar dark twist that makes it's like, oh, that makes a little more sense. It's the same person. person. Right. So I feel like with Look Back, because, like, this was, like, Fujimoto, like, during his hiatus, if you will, because, like, after Chainsaw Man, he was working on, like, Chainsaw Man Part 2, if you will. Um, but he came out with three different one-shots, right? So in Japan, you have one-shots are, like, these, you know, short comics, usually of long formats, like, usually between, like, 50 to 100 pages. Um, Fujimoto, he released three. So we have Look Back uh goodbye Erie, and i think the song heard around the world i think that's what it's called all of them like really more grounded more close to home and they're all beautiful stories holy crap goodbye Erie is about like his love for cinematography about the main character who wants to become a movie director who's pushed by this girl he starts to date um into creating a movie for her uh, song Heard Around the World is about a guy who makes a song that everyone listens to, but not because of the song, but because of what they see in the video. And then, of course, Look Back is about these two girls becoming mangakas. Um, again, this is not my first time reading it. I read it when it first came out. So, Eric, what what was your experience reading this, this story? Uh, first one was like, like oh, okay, this is like kind of really, I was surprised how kind of heart touching it was, very sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little confused by the thing towards the end, which we'll get to when we start summarizing it. So I did have to reread it just to make sure. I was like, did I understand it correctly? Okay. Um, I also read it, and it's kind of interesting because I read it digitally first, mm-hmm. and then I found out the library had a physical copy, so I went and got it. Um, from what my research showed, this was actually published digitally originally. Yes. Oh, no, it said it's a web manga. Yes. On Shojin Jump Plus, which I thought was interesting. Do you? I I don't know. Do you know? Was it originally in like a side scrolling format or? No, still traditional, uh, right to left. Okay, so I thought that was really, that was like interesting, and I think, because you know, I don't have, a, I'm not super knowledgeable about the finer points of manga, the the manga publishing industry in Japan, how comics are consumed. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much they are digital versus physical. Physical, because physical media in general still gets a lot of love in Japan. Yes. So I wasn't. I was kind of curious how much they were embracing all the the stuff like webtoons and digital comics. So uh, when it comes to digital comics in Japan, it's starting to become like a newer thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, like because again, because of the the explosion that webtoons cre- has created, like you still have some publishers doing uh webtoon style comics but then you have others who do do the digital format but it's still like traditional manga right to left uh scroll mm-hmm. okay um so i was curious but my impression is that i really liked it a lot mm-hmm. um this is really actually the type of manga 
that would get me into manga. Because I, as we talked about before, I'm not really into all the tropes, shonen, <laughs> shoujo stuff. It when something it has to be something has to be really good for me mm. to watch something like that. Like I don't watch. Never got into Naruto. Never will. Uh, One Piece, Dragon Ball Z, you know, none mm. of that stuff. So something like really that's kind of more down to earth and very grounded and more realistic. This is a really good. Like yeah, the fact that he's not even focusing on genre. He's just telling this this very personal story. It's very mm. obvious, like very personal story. Um, yeah, I really like. I really really like it. I really liked it. And it. It, it wasn't until the second read that it really started to sink in and get kind of uncomfortable <laughs> about how struggling these struggling creators could it's hit way too close to home. Yeah. Especially after this like hashtag Cogs broke me stuff. It was uh we'll talk about that thing. So we'll give we'll give a summary of the plot for look back. That's kind of important, and then we'll talk about breaking down it's technically. So um it it has two young girls. Mm-hmm. They're elementary school, right? The beginning. In the beginning, yes. Yeah, one name, Ayumu Fujino. Yeah. She's like the outgoing, like outspoken, energetic girl who like likes drawing and like draws cartoons for fun, and all the all the kids praise her, all the adults praise her. And what's kind of cool is that in the story you see you see her drawings, you see both of their drawings, mm-hmm. and it's very different from the art style. And like her drawing is like. It looks like what, like, you know, a kid would draw, right? It's very <laughs> crude and cartoonish. Um, she gets like, oh, yeah, you're, everyone loves you. And then she comes across um, a manga by another student named Kuyumoto. Kuyumoto. Yeah. yeah. And she is not present. She's never at school, but her work somehow gets out. And, like, she's the same age, uh, but her art is, like, professional quality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's cross hatching, there's realistic perspective and all that. Um and as a result of that, uh, you know, she's like, Oh, what's this is a, like what? This person's so crazy. And she's just like ignites this like competitive fire, it's like, oh, I'm gonna be better than this person and she starts like like training. Like, yeah. yeah, like she checks out all these books. You see like all these montages of her like at the desk. You know, she stops going out, she stops hanging out with like at the desk. And you follow her, you know, as the years grow into middle school, uh, she has to deliver a diploma, like a middle school diploma, I think, something like that, to her uh, house. Element, elementary. Yeah, to her house, because um, Kumoto never goes to school. She always stays in her home drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as, as this, this is going to be a key thing. Um, you know, she sees her house, it's full of sketchbooks, doesn't meet her, she's in her house. She's like, you know, like, oh, my God, this person's so crazy. But she's also jealous, you know, how hard yeah. she works with her. She draws, like, a little comic strip, right, where she's kind of making fun of her. Um, it slides under her door. Kumoto, Fujino draws the costume. slides under Kumoto's door by accident. That's what calls her out of the room. They finally meet. They hit it off, right? Because it turns out, oh, Kumoto, I, I'm actually a huge fan of your work, you mm. know. And then, like, Fujimoto, like, kind of assuages her inferiority complex a little bit. They hit it off. They become friends. They start creating this this series together. Yes. Uh, Shark Punch? Shark? Is that what it's called? Uh, well, at, at, towards the end, yes, that was the name of the manga. But like prior to that, there was like Metal Parade and other things. So it's like 
Uh, Fujino was the mangaka while uh, Kimoto was the assistant drawing the backgrounds because that's what she was really good at. Yeah, yeah. So they both, and they, you know, they both, you know, we see them very quickly go through the, they go through the the age out, go through high school. They're making these little manga, submitting it for contests, you know, trying to get it for publishers. Um, then uh, they started to have a falling out because mm-hmm. at, when they're high school, Fujino wants to like make make this serialized. Like, I want to work on this, make this a thing. Kumoto. Uh, doesn't want to. She wants to go continue on and get a formal art education. Yes. Because um, Fujimoto, like, she's tired of being, uh, Kim- Kimoto is tired of being in Fujino's shadow. And she, at one day in a bookstore, she picks up uh, art, uh, a book about the, the art of backgrounds or whatever, right? Which is something she's good at. And she was blown away. And she realized that she wants to, exp- wants to do more. She wants to be able to expand. Um, so because of their arguing with the falling out, right? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's like, it's very similar to like, you know, when bands hit it big, but it's like, all right, I want to do a solo, right? And it's like, it, it's one of those, it's like, there's no one really at fault, you know? It's like, it's understandable where both sides are coming from, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they both have their separate paths, you know, and they don't really kind of falling out. And this is where like the Chainsaw Man bit comes in, you know? There's a very, very dark, disturbing twist. Years later, Fujino gets news that uh, there's a there's a mass murder at an art college, and yes. it turns out it's the one that Kumoto goes to, and she's one of the victims. And she's just racked with guilt that, like, oh, you know, kind of because of my falling out. No, 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 because I met with her, right? I delivered this plan. We had my friendship. I inspired mm-hmm. her to pursue an art career. Which just led to her being murdered. Yes. And it's like, holy shit. That's what it's like coming of age. Like, all right. It's like these two little girls playing manga. It's like, okay. It's happy. It's inspiring. It's like, holy shit. You know, this is like a major curveball. This is this is dark. Um, yeah, that was a very dark plot twist. Yeah, this, so, is, where, this is where Fujimoto talks. It's like, this is, you can tell this is the Chainsaw Man side of him coming out. <laughs> Yeah, so, because, like, with that, right, she goes to, like, uh, Fujino goes to the funeral, of course, is clearly upset, right? She lost her her best friend that, even though she hasn't spoken to in a while, still her best friend. And she goes back to the house and realizes that, like, if it was, like, mentioned before, right, if she never drew that comic and if it never slid under the door, she never would have came out and she never would have died. So, like, of course, in her angst, she rips up that comic that she did in the beginning, and the part of the comic slips in through under the door. Um, Eric, do you remember what the comic was about? Um, it was like her, like kind of frustrated escapist fantasy of how if she were there, she would have saved uh, Kumoto by doing a karate kick on on this mass murderer. And this is where the book gets kind of weird, and I had to read it a second time. Uh, it goes back to that day. It's it's like I don't know if it's like a it's like a magical realism type of thing. It's like time gets altered, right? Because mm-hmm. then we go back to the same scene of of when they're kids, but we see Kunamoto's point of view, right? So I was very confused at first. I was like, what's going on? She reads that comic, mm-hmm. right? But it, it's you think it's like a flashback to the original scene. Like, oh, it's the first strip. It's like, no, this is the comic she just drew. 
Right. Um, and then it continues on. The same stuff happens, right? They have their relation. They have. They become friends. They have a falling out. She pursues her art career, and then, and again, this is where I was very confused. I thought I was seeing the point of view of the same event, of her point of view. We mm. see what happened. This guy, the mass murderer, who's like clearly unstable, um, ranting about like you know people have stolen his art, and he's about to like you know whack her with like a, a sharp art artist Tenso. And then uh, Fushido uh, comes in, does a karate kick, and saves her, right? Um, and, and stops this mass murderer. And then mm-hmm. she gets, you know, she's taken into the ambulance for injury. And that's when Kumoto, who hasn't talked to Fujimo, I think, and this is where the time travel thing got confused. I think it's kind of implied that she never, they never became, she never came out of the room, never became friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, oh, you're Fujino, right? It's kind of the same. It's a callback to the same conversation. They're like, I, I was inspired by your art as yeah. a kid, the previous timeline. And then um, I think, and this is where I was kind of confused now. I don't know if it's like back to the regular timeline or not. Okay. But like, we go back to like, um, you know, uh, go back to like adult Fujino, adult Kumoto. Um, like it, it, it inspires Fujino to go back and become a mangaka, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of I think it's I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong or maybe it's a te- less intentionally ambiguous whether like this is the new timeline that has a happy ending or this is the original timeline where Fujino, you know, her friend still died, but is like inspired to keep going because and that's how the story ends is that um, she remembers all the times her little her little, like, kind of kitty, shitty, like, loose manga webstress made Kumoto happy. Mm-hmm. So that memory inspires her to go back to work, get out of her fun, and continue drawing manga. Yes, actually, yes. The, 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 the time travel part is not really so much time travel, but it was more of, like, an alternative event. Yeah, so, that's... That's what I was confused by. Like, I didn't know if this is like a, a perspective imagination shift, or if this was like a magical realism type of thing. Like, it's yeah. weird. like like reality did change, but not in like a sci-fi way. It's like in a way that's more driven by the characters. It's not that important in the end, to be honest. <laughs> like, it's not. Important, yeah, it's important. As a, yeah, this is kind of also kind of very beautiful arc about like you know, making art and kind of dealing with the hardships, but at the end of the day, what is it that keeps people going and coming back right. to it? Right, right. Which is, which is always fascinating, because, I mean, like, Fujino, I mean, not Fujino, um, Kimoto, Kiyomoto, pause, is her biggest fan, right? Because there was a part in the story where she, where Fujino gives up drawing art, like, her entire sixth grade year, she was like, I'm done drawing, I'm done trying, I'm going to hang out with my friend. It wasn't until like seeing someone like whom she thought was her better being inspired and admire her is what got her back into art. So like that one person like essentially changed her trajectory into doing art. And I think that the, that magical realism, if you will, right. Of like tearing up that original comic that brought her out, like keeping her in you know telling this whole big alternative in order to like save her friend 
Um, I mean, of course, like the the chances of that are extremely unlikely, but it's just it's just very beautiful. And then to have another comic that Kimoto had drawn come back out of this like fantasy, um, just you know is beautiful of, of itself. I mean, it's a little bit of Deus Ex Machina of the of the comic strip coming out to to greet Fujino, but I mean, I feel like it works. Yeah, I would argue it's Deus Ex. Um... I say this because I just watched Shazam 2, and there's an actual Deus Ex in the literal sense, like the original, like uh, like a literal god of literal little Greek god. It's it's kind of it it's kind of dumb for writing point of view, but it made me smile, so I was happy. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. <laughs> it was quite it was like this is really bad for writing point, but I don't care. It was so cool, but it was like a little Deus Ex, right? Okay. Uh, I wouldn't call what this happened in this book a Deus Ex. It's 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 not it magically solves the problems. It's like there there was, you know, there's an arc story reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a better example of a literal Deus Ex, the first Avatar, which is like, oh, the the planet comes to life, right? This like saves the day, and it's like, and they sort of they sort of justify with like the planet can, the, like everything's connected, right? So they can kind of read messages, but it's not. It's like no, this is Deus Ex. All right, yeah. this is this is like. The, these these almost a divine presence comes in and saves the day. Um, anyways, be, beautiful, very surprisingly hard touching story from like I said the guy who does Chainsaw Man <laughs> about a guy who just cuts up devils with with, cha- with chainsaw for hands and wants to like his goal joining the devil hunting organization that he just wants to touch the Stephen Lee. Yeah, yeah he's um, so. Let's talk about the art for a second, because I want to. I'm curious, because you, since you've read more Chainsaw Man than me, because mm. um, the art style is the same, right? Uh, yes, the art style. The art style does not change. This is yeah. But well, I'm kind of curious. It's like how you see his art style in something as grounded and realistic as this versus something as as crazy wacky as, as Chainsaw, as Chainsaw Man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, that's that's a very good question. I feel like it. You know, it works like. The thing that always fascinated with me with manga is like the way they draw, like depending on which direction you can lean in towards, like whether it's more realistic or whether it's more fantasy, it still works on a specific type of level, which I always thought was crazy. So like, again, like seeing like, you know, the crazy action of Chainsaw Man, right? Really action shown in heavy and, there, and there's, a, there's a little bit of that in this book because the way she does the karate kick, it's the karate. very like you can tell this is a guy who works on action show. <laughs> right, because I mean that was a very dynamic kick, um, yeah. dynamic entry, if you will. Um, but like still, the the whole thing is, I mean, it's it's just so dumb. It's so well done, especially the scene where the uh, the axe murderer comes in. Because if you realize, like, everyone else is drawn in, like, just regular stiff, not stiff, but, like, regular neat lines, while his entire figure is cross-hatched, which yeah, kind of yeah. makes it more realistic. But also, like, it, it shows, like, cause it's so much more messier. I think it kind of conveys the, like, unstable, like, he's literally unstable, so kind of his, his tone there. Right. Um, and also, like, possibly it might be reading it a little too much, but, like, yeah, this is, like, a alternate timeline slash fantasy slash imagination spot type of thing. But yeah, yeah. it was nice to like, it was really cool to see that extra, extra hatching touch. Cause this like Chainsaw Man is all black and white. Yes, it is. 
uh, so it has to be reliant on, on the inking and the hatching. Something I really like a lot is the panel layout in the mm-hmm. story, because mm-hmm. this is a story about two young girls, these two friends, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, symmetrical, like, like a lot of pages are just columns, and they're horizontal or vertical, of, like, of like comparisons, right? There's a lot of mirrored shots between them. Um, there's a lot of uh, montages, right? Like, something you... I want to talk about the beginning, like, you know, when she first, we see this a lot, when she first sits down, like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a real mangaka, right? She just <laughs> sits at her desk, her back's to us, the, right. the same pose almost, it's just her sitting at this desk, the room changes, the background, the window, the weather changes, but it's the same shot. And I think it's a, it's a very smart choice. You know, you see it a lot in film, right? It would be like, yeah. it's very smart to show the passage of time on that. Which I think also is really cool, too, as well. Like, maybe you didn't really notice, but, like, even though it's the same shot, it's the way she's sitting down is different in each shot, which I thought was really cool. Cause like Yeah, I noticed that a little bit. I see we had, like, I don't know, was it, like, just to mix it up or is to maybe she show she's, uh, her, her skill her skills and art or something like that's changing? Uh, I don't even know about the skills as an artist. I just thought, like, you know, seeing, like, she's she's a little girl sitting at this table trying to draw, right? You're not going to sit still for the entire time. So to, like, see her legs spread out, see her legs crossed, see her, like, you know, kicking her sandals, seeing her legs up, um, seeing... Yeah, so, yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. The show is not just, like, a copy and paste job. Exactly, like he's drawing every every single panel. I mean, every, yeah, every single pose. So it's like, wow, they're, you're they're, they're imagining. Definitely- there are definitely some artists out there who would do the same thing, but do copy and paste. Exactly. Like I, saw I, that. I saw that in like uh, an issue of New Avengers, which was shameless. Uh, <laughs> I did it too for my own thesis, but I did it for a purpose, not just the same work. I did mm. for my beat panels. Something I also really love is like the way he presents like their their little drawing. Their when they the the manga the manga shows they draw. Right. Right. It's always. Uh, it takes up usually it takes up its own page or even its own half page of um now apparently like, I've learned there's a very specific term for this in Japanese. It's called mm-hmm. a uh um yokama. A yokama. Oh a four yeah, a four comma. Yeah, because it's like uh it's a specifically it's like four panels and they go vertically. Yes. Uh which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah, they always show these of like and he does it like side to side, right? Like her, her Yokama, her little strip versus hit, or, or Fujino's strip versus Kiyomoto's. Because like she's like kind of like an amateur kid versus like a professional one. <laughs> and that was also that was interesting. Like apparently they all they follow a very strict structure too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like kind of basic storytelling for it. But it's, like the first panel is always set the, the sets the scene. Second panel builds on it. Third panel is the climax. Fourth panel is the resolution. Is the resolution, yeah. Which, which is like, uh, well, it's like the three panel strips here, right? That's the I formation mean, of comics. Right. With the, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a comic strip. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was fascinating that also the fact that they, well, theirs is Vertigo. These are mm-hmm. like almost all exclusively Vertigo, which I thought was a an interesting kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah, because like as a as a you know, I always imagine it like it had something to do with their writing structure. 
because they write vertically. So oh, right, the way the way Japanese is written, yeah. yeah. Also, something I was very surprised to see in this book, mm-hmm. and I think maybe it has to do with like his experience doing action shonen, is that there are a lot of splash pages and a lot of half splashes. But unlike for action scenes, they're for like big emotional moments. Right? Yeah. Like, here's the scene right, of, of her dropping her phone. Mm. Right. And it's just, just two panels. The phone drops, and then the bigger one of her uh, upward perspective looking her looking down, like like in shock. Right. right. She got she got the news of, of like the mass murder at Kimoto School. Um yeah, like even even this, right? Here here's that's just her at her at her desk. Um, right. Like learning, like seeing it happen in real time and it's like, holy crap, like this is happening at my friend's school, like hopefully nothing nothing happens. Yeah, which I I really I really like it when people can use like the kind of storytelling techniques for action, but not for action. It's for mm. really because this story doesn't have a lot of action. It's a lot of gr- grounded, very intimate, emotional moments. So he uses that to like really punch up the the emotional impact of, of so many of these. Oh, even even a panel as simple as this, right? Right, where she's at uh she's drawing in like a big apartment, her big apartment window as an adult. Just to really emphasize the like isolation, the monotonous, the routine, right? Because it's the way it's 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 you know just to show this one figure sitting at her desk, and you pull back and you see this empty room except for like a cupboard full of of drawing books and a mm-hmm. computer against this background of of Tokyo or whatnot. So yeah, I'm uh yeah, it's just it's just really really impressive to see like this very emotional grounded story but with like real real like stellar visual chops like it is visually well done but in a very subtle way Mm -hmm. right not not in a flashy way like chainsaw man (laughs) you know which i think those are always the works that are i think it's sometimes harder unless you have an eye for craft to appreciate mm-hmm. their subtleness because the job is to be invisible it's not calling attention to itself right which is like true and like the more it reads seamlessly the more like especially if you're familiar with the craft the more you're able to like holy crap this person knows exactly what they're doing and yeah. it's like it's just mind-blowing well that's the thing it's just it's just letting the story tell for itself and i think it's a really good example because mm-hmm. you're there are not a ton of comic creators, I would argue, that can shift between genres and tones that well. Uh, part of it is the industry. Like, mm-hmm. the, like I could, I know for a fact, see, talking to publishing people and seeing panels and videos, they don't want that. <laughs> they pitch, they, like, once someone makes a certain type of work, they pigeonhole that person forever. Yes, they do. Um, but yeah, the see, the see. You know, someone who do something as wacky and crazy as Chainsaw Man, but also tell, you know, in comics, like, this very visually grounded story and the same type of thing. Because, like, it's, it's equivalent of, like, you know, if you tell me, like, is Craig Thompson's going to do, like, a Superman book? No, not Superman. Suicide Squad book? <laughs> you know what? I would actually buy and read that. I would read it, but he would never do it. And would, I don't yeah. think the industry would ever would. Although, Tilly Wallet. Tilly Walden, actually, we just talked about her a while ago. Like, she, she actually made that switch because she does, like, these intimate, you know, like, Sunbeam coming of age, and then she does a Clementine zombie book. Right, which, I mean, 
low key coming of age, right? Focusing I mean, on story a... is the same. It's not that much of a warehouse, but it's yeah. kind of cool to see, like, oh yeah, she she could do zombie, she could do zombies, and she could do yeah. like, you know, murder, right? Because <laughs> you don't see that in her other books. That is also true. Um, so it's like kind of I don't know. Do you know of other manga creators that do that can change or or can have have diverse tones in their published works like this? I know uh, the we we didn't be the Devil Blues. That's yeah. that was fun. Yeah. That's, um, that, that, that that I know that creator is more well known for like these rompy raunchy sex comedies. Yeah, school, prison school, and raw hero, but yeah, me which is a very different story from me, very type of different type of manga than me to Devil Blues. Right, versus someone like um, the first person who came to mind when you asked that question was um, uh, Na- Naoki uh, Urasawa, uh, the guy who did 20th Century Boy, Monster. Uh, oh yes, I've that? only I've only read those works, so they're all kind of like thrillers in a different sense. You know, yeah. but it was still the same basic type of tone and genre. Has he done something like, you know, like kind of really intimate or something like that, or quieter? Uh, quieter? Oh, gosh, I guess in my mind, 20th Century Boys are already quiet to begin with. Um, I mean, the only like I kind of think of, but not really, it's like more of a joke. It's like Juti Ito, horror manga, that he does the cat book. <laughs> oh yeah, that's funny. Oh, uh, I guess uh, Master Keaton would be would probably be for that. Um, but I never finished it. And then I guess the what's the name? Uh, Shiguro, 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 Uh, the guy who did the his 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 biography essentially of like him being a mangaka during the uh, Meiji, I think Meiji era. Mm. Um, not Meiji. Uh, Showa during the Showa era. That, that uh, drift, is that the drifting life guy? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't, and, I don't have a lot of memories of that week because we were all burnt out. Reading, doing so much work that first week, of, that week of grad school. That's that was. True. And I also, I think I lost the book. I don't have it anywhere. Uh, or maybe I had, still, maybe I still did. Had, I don't know. I, we had a printout. I'll let you. No know. wait, we had we had it digitally. Never mind. Yeah, we, yeah. No, I did get a physical copy. I wasn't oh, getting you, a physical copy. Oh okay. But well, I think I borrowed it. That's what it was. I borrowed it from someone. I think. Oh okay. But I, yeah, I don't. That week is a blur because we read that. We read blankets. We had illustrations from chris Collar's class we were all like yeah we were zombies at that point jesus <laughs> yeah uh but yeah that's but he what else has he done that drifting life guy uh uh he just came out with uh uh hitler comic uh adolf <laughs> like is it like a war story is it like a it's fantasy book it's not a it's 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 God, this way this. It's historically accurate-ish, but it's more like in a comedic tone because like all the characters don't look like actual humans. They all look like 1950s anime characters, if you know what I'm talking about, that type of style. But about Hitler. But about Hitler. And his rise to power. And his rise to power. Uh, all right. Well, I will. I I will admire the manga industry a little bit for at least they are willing to. Give their creators more tone, more freedom in that sense. Um, you know, um, yeah, look back. Really good, really good manga. Um, I would vote for this if I think, I don't know, it's voting still open. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't vote this. If I were going to vote, I would have voted for this. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. But I wouldn't because that would be irresponsible because I haven't read the other manga entries. <laughs> and that would make me as bad as an Oscar voter. Oh, yeah, because Oscar voters are, are the worst. Yeah, so, yeah, but if you can vote for, and you've read the other manga, go vote for a look back. Um, and they bring it back. Uh, it's a great manga, you know, phenomenal change. So, of course, it's probably not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> They'll probably just give the Jun-T to again. Because that's like, uh, I'm sure that's who the judges know, or the people know. Yeah, they're like, oh, wait, Junji Ito, that guy, he does horror. We like the so, horror. Yeah, I'm sorry. The judges, their time is over. Now it's actually turned by people who vote. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many American comic creators would, like, will pick up a book like this versus, like, hey, I like Junji Ito, you know. I'm still mad Spike's family loss. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it was under some heavy competition, so... Uh. Yeah, but Junji Ito always wins. It's like, okay, we get it. He's amazing. But let's just give the year to someone else, right? He's going to win again eventually. Let's give it this year to something else, right? It's like, you know, Brian Cranston kept beating John, uh, John Hamm at the Emmy for Best Actor every year. And then eventually it was like, okay, just give the Mad Men guys due, all right? You know, let's just, let's just for one year or two, let's just have John Hamm give it, all right? You know, you know it's, it's it's funny you say that, but like at the same time, right? Like if you think about it, right? Like Brian Cranston outperformed John Han each year, right? You you're not gonna deny that. I mean, well, you haven't watched Man of Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I'm Eric Wong. And I'll feel <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll take over the side off. We are Common Rider, the original Digi Joe.